0: He spoke into something that wasn't and it became so because He said so. Impossible things happen all the time in the presence of God. And I feel like there's some people in here who need some impossible obstacles in their life ripped away by the name of Jesus. I feel like there's people in this room who need to know that there's a God big enough to make the impossible possible. I don't know if it's a diagnosis or if it's a relationship or for a financial miracle. Whatever it is, if you're in this place And you're saying to yourself, I've got something impossible standing right in front of me. And I don't know how to face it. I know a God that can. Amen? I know a God that can. And there's people in this place that want to pray with you. So if that's you and you're saying there's an impossible situation standing right in front of me, I want you to lift up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. And you know what? People around you are going to pray for you too. If there's somebody around you with their hand up, go, go surround that person. Go surround that person and lay hands on them. There's one right up here. There's uh, some way in the back back there. There's some over here, some way back there in the back. Surround those people and pray for them. God, we believe in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit can do more in one second than we could do in a thousand years. God, I pray in your Son's name, Jesus, that you would do a miracle in this place. That the impossible things that we see standing in front of us, the relationships that feel broken, the finances that can't seem to get together, The cancer diagnosis or the broken limb or the pain in the back that's never gone away. I pray in Jesus' name, those things would be made possible in your sight. God, that we'd bring those things to your presence. And in your presence, the possible, impossible becomes possible. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And the testimony that's going to come out of these miracles are going to affect generations in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Give God a clap of praise in this place. Come on. He's going to do something. And I can't wait to hear what it was. Can we give it up to the worship team? Aren't they awesome? i tell you what, we have the best worship and tech team I have ever been a part of, but sometimes tech just doesn't work the way you want it to. And this weekend, they've had issue after issue after issue, and Josh and Jotham and Graydon and the team, they just worked with it and made it work, and I'm so impressed. Like, I walked in upstairs before first service, and something wasn't working right, and I'm like, hey, I have nothing to contribute to this conversation whatsoever, but is there anything I need to know before I go on stage? And they're like, no, we got it. And I was like, cool, awesome. And I didn't even worry about it after that. So guys, thank you, you all are amazing. (laughs) Like, seriously, I don't even think the video board was working like three hours ago. I think it just was dead in the water. And now it looks beautiful. So they're awesome. I'm so grateful for them. Uh, would you say standing for the reading of the word? We're gonna, if you have your Bibles, if you have your electronic devices, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'm in the New Living Translation. It's a little bit different, but stay with me. It's great. It's biblical, I promise. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, "'It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people of filthy lips.'" I lost my place. "'Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, "'See, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven.'" Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? God, I pray that today we would be able to answer that question in the affirmative. God, that we would live for you every second of every day, not just when it's comfortable at church, but every moment outside these walls as well. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. And as you be seated, high five five people around you. And if you're an extrovert and you notice an introvert not high-fiving, go grab them and high-five them five times. As you're getting seated, I just want to honor a couple people real quick. It's been, uh, it's been a long month. <laughs> it's been a tiring, tiring month. Let me tell you, the next gen team has been super, super busy. It started out the first week of July, July 5th through the 9th. Uh, Pastor Connor, is she in here or is she in kids' church? She might be in kids' church. She took the teenagers, the wild youth, up to Brainerd, Minnesota for five days and led them through an amazing youth camp. They got to uh, have tons of fun. There was this rickety roller coaster that I actually inspected before I went on it first. I wasn't going to have students go on it because it literally looked like something out of a 90s camp movie. Like, I don't know how they got their insurance to cover it, but it was stinking awesome. It was so much fun. Um, But nobody died. Nobody even got hurt, so it was fine. We had tons of fun, and at the, camp, at the chapel services, students got to experience the power of God move in such a powerful way, and not just through worship or through the preaching of the word that we had from our amazing guest speaker, but we had five, or uh, sorry, four different, three different, four different um, of our counselors share their testimony uh, in the morning chapel, and it was powerful. Some of our counselors have been through so much, and God has proven himself, himself faithful to these people over and over and over again. And the team that's leading your teenagers is awesome. Can I, so can I just take a second and tell Pastor, she can't hear me, but Pastor Connor, thank you, up in kids' church. She's killing it. I love her so much. We are super, super blessed that she decided to, to follow God's call in her life. And then this last week, we had the Brave Kids Camp. Shout if you were there. Yeah, come on now. Pastor Bradley, could you stand up for me for a second? Pastor Bradley led an amazing kids camp all week. Let me tell you, these kids as young as four and five years old experiencing all the fun they could have, and then in chapel services, again, the power of the Holy Spirit ministering to their lives. We had like 55, 60 kids there. I think they all got saved like five different times, which is fine. fine. If it's real to them, then it's real, right? Like, I'm not going to tell a kid that salvation's not real. It's not going to be my thing. You can do that as mom and dad if you want, but I ain't going to do that. And then, and then even some of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is crazy awesome. Like, it was so cool. It was a great week, and I'm just so grateful for you, Pastor Brad. It was a great week, and I love you. You're an awesome kid's pastor. And Pastor Wendy, is she in here, or is she in preschool toddler room somewhere she's leading our littles she's worked super hard while well, in our absence winter we in minnesota and then this week while we were back she's just kicking butt, kicking her own butt trying to make sure that stuff gets done well so she's awesome and uh, last but not least of course is our lead pastors pastor jesse and lauren can we give it up for them they are awesome He's not just my boss or my mentor, he's one of my best friends, and I'm, I'm super excited he's going to be back next week, because if this message sucks, then uh, it's not my fault. So, Well, it is my fault, but you don't have to deal with it next week. So there you go, get over it, right? Uh, some of you don't know me. How many of you don't know me, actually? Alex doesn't know me. Some of you don't know me. I'm not up here that often, and that's okay. I, I, I hang out with the Next Gen, and I'm the Adel Campus Pastor. My name's Sean, um, and I'm excited to introduce my family to you really quick. Hi, Alex, it's nice to see you again. Uh, And this is my family, my immediate family at least. Boom, right there. That's in our favorite spot in San Diego called La Jolla Cove. We love to hang out there and just take beautiful family pictures in the nice, serene location. Uh, But this is my beautiful, amazing wife, Holly, right there in the middle in the big sun hat. I love her so much. She's the person I love most in this world and also the person I like to annoy the most in this world. She rolls her eyes at me more than anybody, including my mom, who's right there. Mom, wave your hand. Yeah, there's my mom. She's awesome. I probably annoyed her second most in this world, but um, my wife's my favorite person to annoy, and it'll never change. So I love you, baby. And then our youngest little girl there, Emily, she's eight. Um, She's our princess. She is the cuddler, although Jaden's actually a pretty big cuddler, too. But Emily is going to be a leader, let me tell you. At kids camp this week, I was told. That in, during the last day of kids camp, she organized a team meeting, eight years old, organized a team meeting so that they could figure out how to get more points so that they could win and make Pastor Bradley into a human Sunday. And it worked. Like, I wasn't super surprised that she did it. I was a little shocked that it worked. (laughs) Like, she's going to change the world one day, and I love her so much. And then it's odd enough, several times in the last few months, people have come up to us and be like, we didn't know you had three kids. Um, so Jaden has gotten lost in the mix somehow, our middle child, he's 12, he's in the red shirt there next to my wife, Holly, Um, he's my little mini-me, he's my little buddy, he uh, doesn't just look like me, but he is like me in character and actions and everything, let's just say he's passionate, okay, and um, we're trying to figure out a way to channel that passion into something productive, um, other than YouTube and Minecraft and Rocket League and stuff like that. But yeah, he's awesome. He's my kid. And then our oldest, Caleb. Is he in here? Or is he working? I think he's working the camera back there. There's my sea dog. Everybody say hi, Caleb. Our 14-year-old teenager. I love him a whole lot. He's the kid that made me a dad, and uh, he's really funny. He comes up to Holly and I every now and then, and goes and gives us both the hug, and is like the OG squad, because we're the original gangsters of the Cully Clan. He he's he takes advantage of the fact that he knows that he made us parents, um, and that's where we're gonna park for a second, actually. Uh, The the day he made me a dad, I remember very vividly, uh, most of it. I remember very vividly. We were in Springfield, Missouri. I was a student at Bible College. And uh, my wife had decided, because I wasn't a part of this conversation because I'm not the one having the kid, uh, that she wanted to try to have kids naturally. No pain medicine whatsoever. And I was like, good for you. I mean, go get them. Because I'm at the dentist, and they're like, do you want Novocaine or gas? And I'm like, yes, please. Just give me all all the drugs. I don't want to feel a thing now or later. And she decided to go at it naturally. And so I was man, commend you for that. I can't, I wouldn't even imagine doing that. Um, But uh, she was in labor for a while. I mean, she was in a lot of pain. Her body was very tense. Um, She just couldn't relax and allow her body to progress through labor. And so eventually the nurse calls me out of the room and she says, you know, the doctor and I both talked and think that if your wife were to get an epidural, her body would relax enough that labor would progress and we'd get this baby out sooner and she'd be in less pain. And we talked for a little bit because Holly was very insistent that she did not want to have drugs. Um, and, but I went in there and I talked to her, and at that point I think she was just over it. she was like, "I'm done. give me whatever you got to give me." And so the, the anesthesiologist comes in, Holly's legs are hanging on this side of the bed, and I'm standing over there kind of facing her, holding her hand, and the anesthesiologist and the nurse start doing their thing and I, I know things about myself, like I know when I'm going to go down, Um, but I thought I was going to be okay, because this isn't my body it's happening to, it'll be fine, but I'm sitting there watching the nurse and the the doctor do their thing, and the needle goes in, and something washed over me, just this lightheadedness, nausea, got real dizzy, and the nurse looks at Holly and is checking in on her, making sure she's okay, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, and the nurse looks at me and says, are you okay, and I'm sitting there like, uh-uh. I'm not okay. <laughs> and so she quickly but quietly rushes around the table, and I slip my hand out of Holly's hand, and she slips her hand in, and I go sit in the Lazy Boy, and I get a soda and get something to drink because I knew I was about to hit the floor. Like, I was moments away from passing clear out. Now, don't get me wrong. In an emergency situation, I'm good. Like, one of the kids starts bleeding profusely. Like, the adrenaline kicks in. I, I'm good to go. But, like, a finger prick or a needle of any kind... Uh, or just a little bit of blood on me, or honestly, any of our boys. All the boys in the Cully family are like this. Just gone, out, just done for the day. Like, we need at least 20, 30 minutes and some sugar, otherwise we're going to be out for a while. And I knew this about myself, but I didn't think it would affect me. But I'll tell you what, something I didn't know about myself was that if I'm not here on kind of an emotional, relational, personal level, I'm trying to get back to here. And let me kind of clarify that a little bit. Um, A little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain, a little bit of um, anxiety, I'm trying to fix that and get back to normal, right? Honestly, even too much this way, too much excitement, too much positivity, too much crazy, and I have to bring myself down a little bit. Actually, youth camp, youth camp was just like this, because youth camp, the wild camp was a week-long high, spiritual high. It was amazing. It was beautiful. I loved every second of it, but when I get home, I'm 37 years old. I was exhausted. I was done, man. I wasn't here. I was. I needed three days of sleep easy in order to get back to here. And I didn't really quite realize that until this last February. One of my friends asked me to go on a trip with them to, to Southern California. And any time you get to go to Southern California in February, you take it, right? Like, yes, every time. And so we get on the plane, and it's early February. It's literally the coldest day of the year. I think it was negative 30 degrees that day with the wind chill. And we get on the plane with our winter jackets on and our stocking caps, our beanies, and we land in John Wayne Airport in, in Orange County, and it's 60 degrees, a 90-degree temperature swing. It was glorious. We got to the hotel, put on our board shorts and our flip-flops, took off our winter jackets and hats, and we just cruised the boardwalk, man. It was beautiful. Everybody else there had, like, big old winter jackets on and beanies because to them, 60 degrees is freezing. They would never survive here with a bunch of pansies. I'm just kidding. I love you, California. I'm from there. We love you. But it was exciting. And so the next day, uh, my friend of mine had to go to some meetings. And so I decided I was going to go walk on the beach, man. This is beautiful. And so I got my board shorts on and my flip flops. And I take my flip flops off because I want to start walking in the water. And as soon as I stick my toe in, it's cold. Like not cold, cold. It was like 54, 55 degrees. And I jump out right away. I'm like, no, I ain't having no cold. I just came from cold. I'm good. And I felt the Holy Spirit kind of tugging on my heart saying, why are you running from pain? Why are you running from that? How often do you get to walk in the surf in February? And I'm like, that's fair. I never get to walk in the surf in February. I'm from there, and I used to do it all the time. It was awesome. But now Iowa's home. I love Iowa. I don't live in Southern California anymore. And so when I'm there, I should take advantage of it. I should be able to sit down and enjoy a day at the beach, even though it might be a little uncomfortable. And it made me think, how often do I let moments like that by out of not wanting to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable? out of not wanting to dip even the slightest amount from average, from norm? How often do I let Holy Spirit moments go by and just completely ignore them because I don't want to be slightly inconvenienced? How often do I let that happen? And honestly, it's not even always God, I don't want to do that. It might be if I wait long enough, somebody else will do that, right? Like, there's plenty of Christians here. One of y'all will get that done. But no, God asked me to do it, and I don't because it's, it's slightly uncomfortable. What's really striking to me is how often I would let that stuff happen as a husband or as a dad or as an employee. Something easy that I could very, very easily take care of. I just let go. Like I walk by the piece of garbage in the parking lot and instead of picking it up so that our property looks beautiful or any guests might come, I walk by it and think, ah, somebody else will get that. Somebody else will take care of that. I mean, let's be honest. We all let moments of our day just drift by, right? We go on coast mode. Where playing one more game on your iPhone was easier than spending those last few minutes with your spouse before they turn off the light and go to sleep? I'm guilty of this a lot, a lot, because I love to fall asleep to the uh, the sitcom New Girl. Anybody else like New Girl in here? It's hilarious. I love New Girl. Schmidt is one of my favorite characters in the history of cinema. Um, But instead of doing that, how much better would it be if I turned it off, rolled over, and asked my wife how her day was? Or even just cuddled her for a few minutes so she knew that I still enjoyed just spending time with her, even if we weren't talking. How much easier would that be to just watch, my, watch something on my phone? Or when Snapchatting our friend in the next room was more fun than listening to the friend in this room who's going through something uncomfortable and wants to talk to somebody about it? How much easier is it just to just Snapchat somebody in the next room? Or when watching YouTube for hours was easier than taking our kids to the park or the pool? This one's tough for me. I'll tell you one of my biggest pet peeves is finding one of my children watching a YouTube video of a game, somebody else playing a game, that they own. Hate that. And I hate the word hate, but I hate that. Like, you literally own Minecraft. You're not only wasting your life. You're watching somebody else waste their life. I don't get that at all. It drives me nuts. It happened one time last year when basically our kids had unlimited screen time because of COVID, right? We just let them just do whatever they wanted because we didn't want to be annoyed. And I lost it. I mean, I lost it. I was like, stop it! Go outside! And then literally later that day, I was watching YouTube on my phone. Um, I like to fish. And so I was watching this video of something called the Nico Rig. It's a, it's a fishing technique that you use to try to catch bass. And I watched it so that I could learn how to do it. And then I watched another one. And then I watched uh, another one. And two hours later, the Holy Spirit kind of grabbed my heart again. It was like, um, you have a fishing pole in the garage. And there's a pond like four blocks away. You could just go fishing. And I was like, ah. Oh. I've got to go apologize to my kids now, don't I? And he's like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And that's hard. That's hard. But honestly, I'll tell you one that gets me too is when I'm just going about my day and the Holy Spirit impresses somebody on my heart. Like, hey, why don't you call that person you haven't seen for a few months? Or why don't you go give that person a hug? And I I don't do it cuz it might dip me below average, it might dip me below normal. And then in this space I'm like, God, We're experiencing amazing worship music and a great word, and I want you to use me, Lord. And he's like, I tried to yesterday, and you didn't listen. So what makes you think anything's going to change now? And I have to kind of reset my life, right? I have to remind myself that walking in the water is not going to kill me. It's an experience that I don't get to experience that often. And so I'm going to take my flip-flops off. I'm going to experience a little bit of cold, but I'll live. And somebody else might get to get changed by it. Somebody else might get to experience the Holy Spirit because of it. It reminds me of what I imagine the type of world Isaiah would have been living in when we just read that passage a few minutes ago. Now it's a bit different for us because in this setting we get to experience powerful moves of the Holy Spirit every weekend, right? It's amazing, it's beautiful, but it's not what the most uh, the rest of the country get to experience. Sure there's great churches all around the world. There's great con- churches even in this city or in this country. But there's a large swath of our country that goes to church every weekend, p- worships passionately, reads their words, studies, and takes notes during service, and then leaves, and nothing happens. Nothing affects their life whatsoever. They don't witness to their coworkers. They don't tell their friends at school about Jesus. Isaiah has lived in this entire life in that type of place. I'm going to put my phone on uh, my iPad on uh, airplane mode here because Ashley Frey is trying to text people. Love you. Texting during service. Isaiah's lived his entire life in that type. I shouldn't have called you out. I'm sorry. I love you guys. I was just messing with her. She could take it. Isaiah's lived his entire life in that type of place, a place that religiously makes sacrifices to a God that they have zero relationship with. They've built these beautiful temples and buildings and have these awesome rituals to a God that brought them out of slavery into freedom, into a land flowing with milk and honey and prosperity, and yet they've enslaved themselves back to those same buildings and rituals. Instead of having a relationship with God, they just go through the motions. They don't do anything during the week to prove their love for God, to show God that they love him by being obedient to him. They just go through the motions. He actually says in the first chapter of Isaiah, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? I want no more of your pious meetings. Instead, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. All the things that God wanted out of his people all along. To learn to do good, to seek justice, to help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for widows. And yet they're just going through the motions. Now again, we have it quite a bit better off. We don't have this long list of things that God wants us to do, right, in order to be holy in his sight. We have Jesus, and by Jesus, we have hope and freedom to live exactly how he wants us to live, amen? Jesus has provided that for us, but what God wants from us is the same thing he wanted from Israel, and it's the same thing he wanted from Isaiah in chapter six. We're gonna read the whole thing again. Pay attention, here it is. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is a big deal, People don't just see God in the Old Testament. The priests had to go into the temple once a year, and even then it was dangerous because the presence of God was so thick and holy that they could possibly die if they had any sin in their life. So the fact that he's seeing God is a big deal. He was sitting lofty on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. God is so holy that he has angels just attending to him, preaching about how holy he is. And the things that they said were things like, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. They dare not even look at God, and they didn't want God to see their their dirty feet. They covered up the shameful parts of their body, and they didn't want to look at him because they might die. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed. He understood where he was at. I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people of filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. He knows that he has sin in his life, and he has no right to be in the presence of God whatsoever. He's standing there terrified that he might die. And yet, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. He's made righteous in the sight of God. Then I heard the Lord asking, now that everybody's good, the Lord's got a question for him. Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah replies, here I am. Send me. Isaiah standing there in the presence of the most holy being ever, completely unable to do anything. In fact, he says in another translation, woe is me, I am undone. I have nothing to offer you. You are the most powerful being that ever was or ever will be. What can I do? So he says, whatever it is, Lord, send me. He knows that there's only one option, complete and total surrender, There's only one option to do whatever God asks of him. He's not promised that anything will change in Israel. In fact, he ministers for almost 80 years in the land of Israel, in the promised land. And guess what happens? Guess what the Israelites do? Nothing. They don't repent. They don't turn back to God. They don't change their ways. They just keep going on as usual. But it changed Isaiah. He kept preaching the hope of God. He stayed obedient to what God asked him to do. A hope that says, even though God is frustrated at the religion he sees, he still deeply loves his people. He doesn't care about meetings and sacrifices. He cares about you saying yes when he speaks. It can be really tempting because we may be deeply hurt by what we see outside of these walls, by what we see in culture, by what we see in the news media. It might deeply hurt us, but it can be tempting to jump out of the water when we don't like the temperature. But God is calling us to engage. God is calling us to jump in, feet first, saying, I don't care how uncomfortable I may be. I'm going to jump in because God said so. And that's enough for me. Engage with your families. Fight for your hurting marriage. Man, I'll tell you what. Holly and I had a rough year a couple years ago. It was hard, but we fought. We talked. We talked. We prayed and we persevered knowing that divorce was not an option. Now, if you're divorced in here, don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking against that. You've been, people in here have been in some rough situations. I know that. But I'm saying, if there's still hope, fight for your marriage. Fight for your wife. Fight for your husband. Don't just give up. Say, God, what do I need to do to win her back? What do I need to do for you in order to show my wife that I'm dedicated to something bigger than myself? Pray for your spouse. Pray for your husband. Pray for your wife. Fight for the heart of your children. If you're not praying for your kids, even though you don't have any, then you need to start now. If you don't have any kids and you want kids, let me be very clear. You need to start praying for those kids now. Those kids need a a godly home where their parents love the Lord more than they love each other. I love my wife, but Jesus is priority number one, and she knows that. And I know that about her. Our kids know that as much as we love each other, Jesus is number one. My spouse comes a close second and then my children. Our kids need to know that they're not our first priority. I love them with all my heart and I would die for them. But Jesus comes first. Because Jesus is the foundation that we can run to anytime we want. Jesus is the rock that that, that died for you and for me. I can't die for the sins of my children. But Jesus did. Read the word to them. Did you know Pastor uh, Jeff Grinnell was here a few weeks ago? He gave this stat that just blew me away. He said, uh, so people in here who are about 55 to 60 and older had approximately a 64% biblical worldview. That means they they saw the problems of the world mostly through a biblical mindset. Teenagers today have a 2% biblical worldview. I asked my kids, pastor's kids, If they knew what the Ten Commandments were after that message, they didn't even know what the Ten Commandments were about. They didn't even know that they existed. And those are pastor's kids. I need to do a better job of reading the word to my children. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in here who need to do the same. Engage your neighbors. Don't just rush inside. When you get home, shoot, park on the street if you need to kill a few minutes to see a neighbor. Spend time engaging with the people in the world around you. There's people who live 30, 40 feet away from you who don't know about Jesus, and there's a godly person right there in their neighborhood. If you want a missionary in your neighborhood, congratulations. You have one. It's you. You are God's plan A. There is no plan B. The church is the hope of the world, and there is no other option. If the church doesn't change it, it's not going to get changed for the glory of God. Amen? Take them a meal or have them over for one. Don't be shy or ashamed to say that you have a great church. There's plenty of seats in here. Save them one. Say, hey, come to my church. It's awesome. We have three services. Pick one. I'll be there, and I'll save you some seats. Don't be ashamed to say that you have a great church. Engage your schools. Students, you have rights. You don't have to roll over and play dead if your administration says you can't pray. Respectfully say, you're wrong, I can. The Constitution gives you the right to pray in your school. They cannot take that away from you. The only thing they can do is tell you not to interrupt class time. That's it. You're allowed to share the gospel. You're allowed to tell your friends about Jesus. You're allowed to invite your friends to church or wild or the brave. You're allowed to be a Christian everywhere you go. School doesn't negate that. And parents and students, pray for your teachers. Pray for your administrators. Pray for your staff. And if you don't like the way your school's being run, go run for the school board. Do something about it. We don't have to keep letting ungodly people run our school system. We can be the change that we want to see in the world. Amen? Go and do something about it. And those that don't know Jesus need to know that you love him anyway. Engage your workplaces. Did you know the most powerful witness in a workplace is a spirit-led life? Be generous. Pray for the sick. Being involved in their world for their benefit. I have kind of an ever-evolving definition of leadership that I, I kind of tweak every now and then as I feel like it needs to be tweaked. Currently, it reads like this. Effective leadership is the result of earning trust and investing in others, people, to help them win both personally and professionally. That means whatever it takes from you to help them win, not for your benefit, but for theirs. If I have to work extra hard so that Pastor Bradley or Pastor Connor or Pastor Wendy feel loved then by golly, I'm going to do that. Because I want to see them win. I want to see them succeed. Not just because he's my kid's pastor, but because he's an amazing human being who I love and I want to see succeed in his personal life and his professional life everywhere. I want to see him be a good dad. I want to see him be a good boyfriend. I want to see him be a good kid's pastor. I want to see him be a good follower of Jesus. That's effective leadership. So be that to the people in your life. If you own a business or if you're a boss in a business, tell your coworkers about Jesus. Use every opportunity you can to be the example that you want to see. They're not going to change if they don't see you change. They're not going to love people if they don't see you pe- you loving people. Engage at the gym. Don't wear those big massive earphones that block off the world. They've got these cool ones now. I think they're called um, Aftershocks. I've got a pair. They're awesome. Uh, they sit right here. They're called bone conducting headphones. They vibrate your bones right here so that you can still hear your music, but your ears are open so you can hear everything that's going on around you. They're awesome. If you want to engage more at the gym, wear those so you can still hear your music or your podcast or whatever. Learn people's names. Learn about their situations. Engage in conversations. Honestly, if you spend more than five minutes with Pastor Jesse, you can't help but learn how to do this because he talks to everybody, like literally everybody. If you hear somebody even pretending to be Australian, he'll go talk to them. If you hear somebody talking about anything, he will go talk to those people because he just wants to engage people. Do that. Do that at the gym. Let people know that you love them, that you want to be involved in their life. Engage everywhere, at the mall, the store, the gas station. If you get a feeling that you should pay for someone's groceries or gas or lunch at the food court, I can almost promise you that's the Holy Spirit. Nobody's that nice. (laughs) Maybe you are, and I'm making you feel bad about being nice. I hope not. I'm not that nice. I, I don't know anybody that's that nice. That's usually the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, that person needs something, and you can provide it. And who knows? That might just be the thing that pushes that person. It might be the miracle that shoves them towards Jesus engage in life. Have your eyes open and your heart soft. Don't let the worries of the world harden your heart to such a place that you can't see what's going on right in front of you. Read the Word. sing, dance, not just in here, everywhere. The Holy Spirit will speak. The Holy Spirit will speak. Who likes football in here? Anybody like, particularly NFL? I don't really follow college football. I'm sorry. I I was raised in San Diego and all the San Diego teams suck. So I didn't really watch college ball growing up. I'm a Charger fan though, forgive me. I can't help it, they're awesome. Okay, so a few football fans in here. They just had training camp start this last week, most of the teams, and they practice all week for one thing on Sunday, right? For like a three hour game on Sunday. This is our practice field right here. This is where we get to butt heads and have some wrestling matches and figure stuff out for ourselves so that we can go out there to game time. Our game time is the rest of the week. Where we get to be what God's called us to be. Where we get to do what God's called us to do. Where we get to hear from the Holy Spirit and engage the culture around us. Because obedience to the Holy Spirit can change the world. It can very much change the world. But at the very least, it'll change you. At the very least, it'll radically affect your life. This place is incredible, isn't it? Oh, come on. It's good, isn't it? We've built an incredible church here, right? Pastor Jesse, Pastor Lauren, they've worked their tails off to make sure that this is a place of freedom, that this is a place of hope, a place of love. And we're all a part of that. They haven't done that on their own. I'm grateful for them for the hard work that they've done, but this is a place that has taken lots of people a lot of work to make happen. We're working hard and seeing amazing things happen in here every week. But imagine with me for a moment if out there looked like in here, every open space a dance floor for praise and worship people unashamed to just get down for jesus man i can't dance let me tell you i can't dance, but i will get down for the lord i will i will make myself a total fool for jesus because jesus is worth it right every place a dance floor every aisle every cubicle every bedroom and highway an altar where we could pray for those who desperately need to see a miracle in some area of their life this is a great place as an altar it's handy for us It's right up front. It's got plenty of room. Pastors sit up here, so there's plenty of people to pray for. Well, pastors need prayer too, but people to pray with. (laughs) But there's nothing sacred or anointed about this space. It's just an open space. Anything can be an altar. Driving down the road can be an altar. Your bedside could be an altar. Your kid's bed can be an altar. Kitchen table can be an altar. Your cubicle can be an altar. People need to know about Jesus and that he is powerful enough to heal everywhere in the world, not just here. Not just here in these seats, everywhere. Every piece of homework, every job, every sale, every date, a pulpit to preach with your words and your actions, your love for Jesus. You heard that right, every date. If your date doesn't know Jesus, guess what? You just became a missionary. I'm not saying you should keep dating that person. But if they meet Jesus, maybe, right? Every sale, there's owners of business in this place that take, uh, make it a point to make sure their customers know about Jesus, to make it a point to know that all their employees get to experience generosity, to get to experience hope. I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of employees of people who own businesses in this church bring their employees because they know that they'll find hope here and that their bosses will point them that direction. Every widow, orphan, down on their luck, anybody, a hug and a prayer away from a radically different eternity. Radically different eternity. A few weeks ago, I heard a story about a guy by the name of Dave Rudinus, and this is back in 1960. Dave owned a a, a, a metal shop, um, a machine shop, sorry, and he loved to race cars. He was also a deacon on the board at their church, and his pastor at one of the deacon meetings told him, he says, hey, uh, we need to go out and do stuff. Y'all need to go out in the community, be the church out there, listen to the Holy Spirit, do what he tells you to do, and Dave afterwards told the pastor, "I, I don't feel like I have much to contribute. There's not much to me. I'm just a guy who likes to race cars. And the pastor said, we need more guys who like to race cars. That's exactly what we need. And a few days later, Dave's in his driveway tuning his race car. He's kind of hopping in and out of the driver's seat, kind of revving the engine, listening for the sound and, and fixing stuff as necessary. And there's a little boy across the streets kind of watching him, and he's kind of noticing him out of the corner of his eye. And eventually, this boy makes his way over. They get to talking little scrawny blonde kid's name's Bill. And they talk about everything. They talk about race cars, they talk about life. And eventually the boy kind of wanders away down the street and Dave kind of forgets about it and life goes on. Eventually life gets really, really hard. One of Dave's sons gets diagnosed with leukemia and has to go to the hospital. Finances shrivel and life gets really, really painful. And Dave's, he's not here anymore. He's way down here. I mean, He's driving down Park Boulevard in the sweltering Florida heat, and he doesn't think he has much left to give. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees Bill sitting on a culvert just down the street as he's driving. He pulls over, jogs up to Bill, puts his hand on his shoulder, and Bill tries to put on a brave, brave face, but you can tell there's just desperation in his eyes, like he just doesn't have much hope left. And they get to talking, and Dave finds out that Bill had been sitting there for three days. His mom was the last person he saw there. She said, stay here. I don't think I can do this anymore, and I'll be back. She never came back. And Dave knew in that moment, Bill wasn't going to stay on that culvert any longer. He had to do something. And then he remembered that youth camp was that week. And he starts explaining youth camp to Bill, and he says, Bill, this youth camp is amazing. It's our church youth camp. They, they take kids up uh, uh, to this awesome place where they have athletics and swimming and games and these amazing church services at night. And Bill gets really excited, and he's like, yeah, I, I think I'd like to do that. That sounds great. The problem is Dave has no money. He doesn't have the $17.50 that it would cost to send Bill to camp. But he borrows it, feeds Bill, and within five hours, Bill's on a church van on his way to camp. At camp, Bill gives his life to Jesus, and his life gets changed forever. That family tree is radically different because Dave stopped spent $17.50 on a boy who God asked him to stop and speak to. It wasn't much, but it was what he could do. They develop a friendship, and years go by. Bill moves up to New York City. In one year, Bill invites Dave up to New York City because he just wants to thank him because that was such a small thing that he did, but it radically changed his entire life. And so he thanks Dave. He says, Dave, I'm so grateful I'm so grateful that you listened to the Holy Spirit and then you did what He asked you to do. You spent $17.50 on, on a little kid who had nothing to give you back. I had nothing to offer you. And then He took Dave outside after He gave him a tour of the organization that He created, that Bill created, called Metro World Outreach. He took him outside and showed him the 50 school buses that drive throughout the city of New York, gathering inner city kids to take to Sunday schools, each one staffed with a, a volunteer pastor that can be a pastor to those kids and reach kids like Dave reached him. And then he showed him the 20 trucks that were mobile Sunday schools because they couldn't get all the kids, so they took 20 trucks throughout the city to reach out to kids who couldn't get to Sunday school. And he said, Dave, without your 1750 and one simple act of kindness, tens of thousands of kids wouldn't get to hear about Jesus this weekend. And Dave felt so good because the ripple effect of that one thing, that one thing literally affected a generation of kids for an entire city because he was obedient to the Holy Spirit. It was uncomfortable. It took only a few hours but it took him below where he wanted to be. He was already here. But I feel like the Holy Spirit maybe brought him back up to here, right? (laughs) Maybe you're here and you feel like a Dave. You don't think your contribution would maybe mean that much. I can promise you the bills of the world would definitely disagree. The bills of the world would say, thank you so much. Those that are willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Get to see the miraculous and the impossible because our obedience to the one who can do the impossible gives us a front seat to the miraculous. Gives us a front seat to just see what God can do. Don't let moments the Holy Spirit speaks to you slip by. Engage and see what God wants to do in you. See what God wants to do in the world around you. Here in a minute, we're going to have some, uh, some altar time. If you're here and you feel like a Dave or you feel like a Bill, or maybe you've got something else going on in your world and you just desperately need a touch from God, we want to pray for you. We want to ask God to show up and make the impossible possible. There's people in here who desperately need to know that God cares about just them. Not some, God doesn't just love you out of some spiritual or theological obligation. Not just because the Bible tells us so. God loves us because He wants us, because we have value, because He wants to see what we can do with His Holy Spirit. He wants to empower us to live an amazing, powerful life. And in a moment, when this altar opens up, if you would just come up here, in fact, if everybody would stand with me, that would be fantastic. In a moment, when that opens up, I'm going to walk off the stage and Joe will come back out and close service. But if you need anything prayed for, jump up here and get prayer. We want to pray with you. But also I feel like there's a group of people in here who they don't feel like they're a Dave. They don't feel like they're a Bill. They don't feel like they're able to contribute anything and they don't even really feel like they're worth saving on that culvert. They're not waiting for anybody to save them because they think they're all alone. I can promise you, you haven't met my Jesus. My Jesus loves you exactly where you are. Jesus wants you to live your best life. Jesus wants you to find the hope in the future that he provides. Jesus will give you everything you need. There's a scripture verse that says, it's talking about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. You can replace the word joy with your name. Because of Bradley, he endured the cross and scored in shame. Because... When he looked at the cross, he didn't see pain, he didn't see suffering, he didn't see torment. He saw you, and he said, worth it. That's 100% worth it. I'd do it again in a heartbeat just for you. When he saw the cross, he saw Malachi. He saw Katrina. He saw each and every one of you, and he said, worth it. So if you're in this place and you've never met Jesus, or maybe you did a long time ago and you've ran from him, We're going to pray a prayer together. In fact, if everybody bow their heads and close their eyes, we're going to say this one line at a time. It'll be very simple. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So we're going to pray a simple prayer. And there's no magic words to this prayer. It's just your way of saying, God, I want you. And I'm going to start trying to point my life in your direction. So just pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart. Say, dear God, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He died on a cross for my sins. He rose again. He's given me life, hope, joy, peace, and eternal life. I receive it all. I receive your forgiveness. I receive this new life. Help me to live it the way you designed it, special, just for me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise to the people that just prayed that prayer? Well, thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, be sure to check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, please visit myeternity.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.